again, ladies and gentlemen, Ghost Nobody here, ready to bring you chapter 146 of Radiance, my original Fallout fanfiction. As always, if you can like, share and subscribe to this wherever you can, and leave feedback at the sites via fanfiction.net, archiveofourown.org, or even at my own website, ghostnobody.com. I always enjoy reading your comments and seeing what you're thinking. And, you know, if you've got any ideas, you're always free to leave them on my Discord or on these sites. And, you know, if I like the ideas... I might pick them up and use them. You never know. But if you do pop over to ghostnobody.com, why don't you check out Stormrider? You know, if big surly dragon-esque girls, orcs and elves, magical realms, and human mages are your sort of thing, check it out. You might enjoy it. And also, while you're there, why not pop over to the ghostly link section? Check out Mortis, my original novel, for sale on both Smashwords and on Amazon. Pick it up. Help support me and keep me doing what I love, bringing unlikely alien romance stories to you good people. So, without any further ado then, let's get on with the show, shall we? Oh, at first the usual legal disclaimer. I don't own Fallout or anything to do with it, that's all Bethesda. I just keep crazy tales happy. Let's get on with the show. Chapter 146. Silence is golden. With the sound mufflers at maximum, Clement's power armour took on a very claustrophobic feeling to it. You almost imagined this was what it felt like to be in outer space, as there was no sounds on the outside world, and all he could hear inside of the suit was the sound of his breath hissing through the respirator systems. Even the sounds of the armour's servos and hydraulics were pretty well muted by this system, with the only internal sounds coming through faintly, but it also sounded like they were taking place behind a thick layer of concrete. This advanced oral protection system had specifically been developed to deal with banshees in the first place, and Clements remembered reading all of the briefings about these particular horrors of the wastes, though, to be fair, he'd never actually seen one up close himself. He checked his weapon, and with the reading on his head displaying the same read as the weapons magazine, he signalled to the team to advance forwards. Now, even with the oral protection, the banshees were still a fearsome threat, as this wasn't their only line of attack or defence, though it was their main one. Clement switched to thermal imaging again, and as he began to move forwards, no sooner had he stepped out of the entrance into the factory floor, he was hit by what felt like a fucking wall being thrown at him. Waves of sound so powerful they weaponised the very air itself that they were moving through, washed over Clement's armour, rattling the outer protective plates like roof tiles in a tornado. Fortunately for him, the oral protection was holding, and hearing nothing of the powerful shrieks being aimed down onto him was a blessing. Thanks to the armor's incredibly powerful servos, he was able to resist the barrage of sound desperately trying to force him down to his knees, which was more than could be said for his synthetic comrades. Despite their enhanced strength and speed, it seemed that the sheer power of the banshee's shriek had forced them down to the ground, and they were like they were trying to resist the pull of an incredibly powerful magnet under the floor, and failing miserably. Clements lifted his rifle, and as he raised his head he saw it, a thermal signature above them in the ceiling. The creature was clinging to the shadows high above their heads, and what's more, it wasn't alone. There was at least four or five of them up there that he could see, but he wasn't exactly worried about the count. He just wanted them dead, See so open fire. It seemed that the Banshees never actually expected him to be able to resist their power, let alone answer it in kind. 
so they were caught completely off guard by his first salvo of rounds, which thanks to his enhanced aiming systems helping to not only keep his weapon on target but also keep it steady as he chatted it off in full salvo, found it. The salvo found its target and he saw splashes of red and gold hitting the walls and ceiling above the creature, which indicated blood splashes on the cold metal above and behind it, as read by the thermal imaging. A shape dropped from the rafters and the others scattered. Now this was another of the Banshee's abilities. They were in possession of both incredible speed in both the air and on the ground. It was also rumoured they were able to turn themselves into a cloud of mist briefly to allow themselves to vanish from one place and pop up in another. Hell, there were so many rumours and tales surrounding these creatures that it was hard to tell what was truth and what was fiction. But what Clements did know was that they were flesh and blood underneath all of the trickery, and that meant that they could be killed. The death of their comrade caused the others in the pack of Banshees to briefly pause their sonic attacks as they scattered to avoid further fire. This was a grave mistake, as not only did it allow Silver to raise her weapon, but both of the simps with them, who instantly recovered from their rather intimate dick with the floor. Within human speed, both simps raised their weapons and began firing on the rapidly moving shapes as they desperately tried to avoid the hail of gunfire that the team unleashed up onto them. More of them began dropping left and right, and Clements swiftly realised that there were quite a few more than five that he originally estimated in here, as his own fire claimed a sixth kill, causing the creature to drop from the wall that it was clinging to currently. <clears throat> now normally when dealing with a nest of creatures like these, standard orders from the likes of the bioweapons division was to whittle the creatures down to a manageable level, before attempting a capture on at least one live specimen for testing and study, if at all possible. So reaching for his PTT, which would allow him to speak to his team through their internal comm systems, he pressed it while keeping his rate of fire up thanks to it being mounted on the side of his rifle. Looks like we're getting the upper hand here, guys. Prep to switch to non-lethal, he said. Non-lethal? Are you fucking crazy? Silver's voice came back to him through the helmet speakers. Think about it. Bioweapons would fucking kill to get their hands on a live one of these things. We capture one and we're instantly going to prove the viability of not only the ESF, but the team as a whole he said while still firing at one of the creatures that seemed to be trying to dive-bomb them, causing him to have to dodge out of the way of what, what it threw looked like a huge chunk of metal up at him, followed by a sonic blast to increase its flight speed to ballistic levels. The metal slammed into one of the conveyor belts behind him with a ballistic level of speed, and as Clements answered the creature in kind with some ballistic fire of his own. Now, while his was nowhere near as powerful as a fucking pipe that had been turned into a giant king railgun slug, it was more accurate, and he clipped the creature's large leathery wing which caused it to spiral into a wall with enough force to cause a spray of what had to be blood from the very sudden stop that it hadn't been expecting. I agree, capturing one or two of these creatures would be advantageous to both of our peoples for study. Delta Two said in a very matter-of-fact voice in the comms, as she turned to fire another another of them that stopped right above her head and seemed to be drawing a massive breath in order to unleash a barrage of sound directly on down on top of them. Delta Two's shot hit the creature right in the chest before it was unable to leash, unleash it, and all that came out of it was a cloud of aerosolized blood thanks to the force behind it sprayed down on them like a high-speed monsoon shower before it simply dropped to the floor at their feet, dead. Fuck. Alright, fine. What are you suggesting? 
Silva said while firing away at the still-moving banshees. You still carrying those zap rounds of yours? Clements asked, and then from the corner of his eye he saw Silva look at him rapidly before changing out the magazine on her weapon. This had better work, or I'm peeling you out of the armour and using them on you, Silva said. All right, on my mark, dive, drive the last four into that corner to the right, and then you hit them with the zap rounds. Everyone clear? Clement said, and there was a series of nods. Do it! Clement said, and the team began firing ahead of the four remaining banshees that they could see that were swirling around them, causing them to have to change direction rapidly. This change in tactics confused the creatures, and with a few carefully aimed shots, they were able to drive them towards the corner. But unfortunately, Silver jumped the gun a little. Rather than waiting for all four of the creatures to pile into that corner before closing the trap, she simply began firing when there was only three in there. The zap rounds were essentially a high, very high voltage shock dart, that once embedded into a target would deliver an incredibly high voltage shock to its central nervous system, pretty much rendering it unconscious. These things were so powerful it could even bring down a charging death claw with only a few shots. Though, funnily enough, most troopers in his experience tended to not opt for non-lethal when faced with an angry charging death claw, unless ordered to, and even then it was still debated. No sooner had its three comrades fallen from the air, the survivor veered off course and instead of circling the room again as expected, instead chose to smash its way out of one of the dirty windows high up in the ceiling. It hit the thick glass with a wave of sound so powerful it turned the glass into powder, which looked like a cloud of white dust hanging in the air before being carried along with the waves of sound. The creature dove through the opening and was gone into the sky outside. Deltas, you two secure the specimens. Silver, you with me. Let's go. We're going hunting. Clements yelled before running on the high of the bloodlust from the fight and charging towards the door. He and his follower ESF comrade rushed through the doors of the factory floor and back out into the yard where the others were looking on in surprise, having heard the battle raging on within the place. Kemmings could see Sarge gesturing wildly at him with his arms. If he was speaking, he couldn't hear him, thanks to the oral protection still being online, as he and Silver swept the skies above him for any sign of the escaped banshee. But it was gone. They'd lost it. Suddenly the comms sparked up and Sarge's voice boomed through his skull which was arguably close to the Banshee's worst cry in his humble opinion. Report! Sarge yelled into the comms. Banshee, Sarge. Whole fucking nest of them. Clement said, turning to face the imposing ESF sergeant who was bearing down on them both. Banshees? Sergeant asked Clements, and he nodded before deactivating his oral protection, causing the sounds of the worlds to flood back into his head. Yeah, there's a whole fucking nest of them in there. Never knew they lived communally. We killed a whole bunch of them, even captured three. The sense of currently securing them, but the last of the bunch just got away. Bust through a window when we were chasing it, Clement said, feeling his own heart beginning to slow as the high of battle began to wane. You said you captured some of them? Another voice said suddenly, and Clement turned to see Sabine approaching them with purpose in her every stride. Yes, ma'am. We managed to corral three of them into a corner and Silver hit them with the rock rounds. We left the two synths in there to secure them while we pursued the one that escaped, he said. Show me, Sabine said straight away, and Sarge placed a hand on her shoulder, causing the int agent to look up at him in surprise. You'll need a helmet, ma'am. Banshees are no joke. If one of them wakes up and lets off one of those cries of theirs, well, let's just say you're going to be bleeding from every hole in your head for quite a while. He said solemnly.
Sabine looked thoughtful for a moment and then nodded, before heading over to the equipment pile they'd taken from the vertebrae before returning a moment later with one of their power armour helmets on her head, making her look rather funny, kind of like a bobblehead thanks to its size compared to the rest of her body. Let's go, she said and Clement nodded before leading them back inside the factory. In the main room it seemed that the two synths had not only shown their worth as a capture team, and they'd also hog-tied the three downed banshees, but they also managed to wire their little short snouts shut so they couldn't scream at them if they did wake up. The three oddly feminine creatures were still unconscious from the shock ammo that was still embedded in their flesh and were sticking up out of their dark brown fur like darts on a dartboard. Clements was actually surprised at the appearance as they were a lot less threatening than he would have imagined they would be. The three of them varied quite wildly in size, from the largest of the group who seemed to be close to about seven feet tall and was rather well toned, if the large bunched muscles that were showing through her sleek coat were anything to go by and she was contrasted by the smallest of the group, who was barely over four foot tall, and while still pretty well muscled, wasn't a patch on a large comrade, that's for sure. It seemed that their wings were made up of retractable leathery membranes that stretched from both their wrists and ankles, and by the looks of it they could be retracted into their sides so that they could use their arms and legs, quite like a human could. Though it seemed that they only had three fingers and a thumb on each hand, and indeed, foot. Their feet, while larger than their hands, were obviously evolved so they could hang upside down like a bat, and they were also padded underneath. Clemens guessed they evolved this way so they could walk upright like a biped when needed. Their figures were what really caught him off guard, as most of them were rather feminine, with pinched waists that gave them a kind of hourglass shape thanks to their wide hips and rather powerful looking thighs. Their furry coats also caught him off guard, as while they did well to hide their flesh from view, they also made them look like they were coated in a coat covering of brown oil, as they were very shiny and well-groomed, while also being rather flushed to their bodies, allowing one to rather easily see their more feminine curves and accents. But it was the facial features that really threw him for a loop the most. He'd expected them to be grotesque and vile, but they weren't. Sure, their features were much more bat-like, with large half-oval shaped ears stuck up off the tops of their heads and looked like they could swivel in every direction, like a pair of flashy satellite dishes. And sure, they had small little snouts stuck off the front of their faces, with an odd little fleshy point that stuck up off the tip of their noses. And yes, they seemed to have rather large eyes, if their large eyelids were anything to go by. But their features were also subtle and refined, feminine almost. This caught him truly by surprise as he had read the stories of the encounters with these creatures, and he also read the reports of the Enclaves dealing with them, and they made them seem like they were, well, vile and vicious creatures. But upon seeing them sleeping like this, it was hard to really see that. But then he really had nearly had the panel blown off his armour by nothing more than a scream from one of these things, so there was that too. Reports he had read of them also stated these creatures could disguise themselves as human, and he wondered how the hell they managed to do that, looking the way they did. He was sure that the bioweapons and interdepartments would be able to get to the bottom of these mysteries, as this was the first time anyone had actually managed to capture a live specimen of one of these creatures, let alone three of them. This was going to win him some serious brownie points with the ESF headshed. Of that he had no doubt. Let's get them properly secured. Don't want any mistakes here. I'll contact HQ and let them know what we have. Good job, trooper. Keep this up and I see a promotion in your future. This should keep the squints and nerd squad off our back for the foreseeable future. 
and that alone's worth its weight in gold, Sabine said, gesturing to the three unconscious banshees. Sarge patted Clemens on the shoulder and nodded approvingly, but never said a word before he began barking orders at the others to grip the banshees so they could be moved to a more secure setup to hold them until they were unable until they were able to ship them back out to base. She flew as fast as her wings could carry her. She flew until her shoulders burned and her legs ached. She flew until her lungs felt like they were going to explode and her heart threatened to bust its way out through her ribcage. She flew until she left the fogs that protected their colony and kept them safe from the harsh rays of the sun while allowing them to walk and fly around outside in the day, light far behind. But even then she kept going, despite the sunlight burning her eyes, despite every breath she took feeling like it was giving her little to no air because the adrenaline coursing through her veins told her she had to, until she simply couldn't anymore. Eventually, both physically and mentally exhausted, she had no choice but to land. She sat down on top of a large old-world factory building, like the one that her home had been in, but this one was completely destroyed, and only then to click look back at the way she'd come. Her friends, her family, her flock, her colony, all gone. She had never believed the stories that her grandmother and great-grandmother had told her when she was a little bat. They had amazed her and wowed her while still scaring her, but she'd never actually believed them. She'd always thought that they were just horror stories meant to scare the younger bats into believing, behaving for their elders. Be good and listen or the metal men will come and get you. But they were real and they were here. She'd never felt fear like this in her life. She had smelled it from the moment the odd machine descended from the clouds above. She had never seen the colony elder so scared in her life. While the younger bats wanted to go and see what all the noise and fuss was about, the elders had tried to hide them away, to get them into the safety of the hidden roosts while prepared to f try and fend off the invaders. But in the end it had all been for naught. The invaders, despite being fewer in number, were far more powerful than they ever were, and even their best screams had fallen on deaf ears, so it had seemed... The metal that they covered themselves in deflected even the highest pitched screams like they were nothing. These were the screams that could turn glass to dust and rend most metals like a tree bending in the wind. But their suits had deflected it, scattered it to the point where it created maelstroms of noises within the colony and even managed to confuse their own senses with it as it was bounced back at them. And then there were accur their accursed human guns handheld sticks of fire and death that spat metal while belching flames and booming out the calls of death and destruction, plucking our beloved friends and flock from the very air itself with little to no effort. Click had never felt so lofted in her life. What would she do now? Where would she go? There were so simply no easy answers to these questions. But what she did know is she had to try something, anything, to rescue those that had fallen but not died. When she had bust through the window, she had known that she was the last of them. Her big sister Harmony had told them to keep that they were going to escape. She had a plan, and Harmony was always good at that. She was a smart bat. The plan had been simple. Fly in circles around them, hit them from all sides with their very best screeches, and then when they were confused by the patterns, fly up to the windows and the roof and bust out into the sky. Fly in four different directions. She hoped this would confuse them long enough for them to get far enough away and they'd be unable to chase them. But it seemed that the metal men had had other ideas, because as Armony, Click and their little sister Tuft, and Tuft's best friend Tap, 
had all burst into the air and began their flight. The metal men had fired something new at them. These were not normal bullets, those accursed weapons that they normally fired. These were sharp darts that sent lightning into whatever they hit. Click had seen a few of them hit the wall and she had seen the lightning burst out of them along it as they had struck little blue caterpillars racing away from the impact points. Those little darts had hit both of her sisters and Tap and they shocked them. But as they fell, Click could hear their hearts beating, their breathing, the sounds of their life still within them. They were alive and not dead like the others. But she had been able to reach them because she knew that she was next. So she had had no choice but to run. She had followed Harmony's plan to the letter. She would burst out of that window and flown as far and as fast as her wings could carry her away from the metal men. She had left her flock. Click sank onto the ground as sheer despair began to truly set in. She had left everything and everyone she had ever known and loved behind. She had fled out of fear and now she felt like an absolute disgusting coward for it. Granted she was alive and she was still free so there was a chance she could do something about it. That she could get her flock back. But how and what? Click sat on the cold metal roof of the old world factory and she felt the tears beginning to flow and it wasn't from the sunlight that was hurting her eyes. It was from the despair, the fear, the hopelessness that she felt in her heart. All her life she had looked up to her big sister Harmony. She'd always had a plan, she'd always been so confident and strong. She remembered when a group of Myalurks had wandered too close to their colony and had threatened to move into their territory. It had been her sister that had led a group of the other young adults to fend them off. While herself, Click, had been too young to participate in that attack, she had been able to watch it go down. She had threw herself, when she grew up, she wanted to be just like her big sister, smart, courageous and strong. Now she was as old as her sister had been then. She was a young adult now, 19 years old and responsible for herself and for the colony's welfare. But she was responsible for so much more than that. She was responsible for the lives of her flock now. She had to get them back. She had to save them, but how? She felt like screaming with the pure rage of it all within her soul. It clawed at the inside of her heart and skull like a mole rat trying to dig its way out from within her. And that's when she remembered something her great-grandmother always used to say. When you are lost, confused, or simply don't know which way to turn or fly, listen to the sky, little one. The sky will never leave you wrong. But you must be quiet, for the sky only speaks in whispers. Whispers that even only the quietest of bats can hear. But if you hear them, they'll lead you right, she had said. At the time, Click had just thought that it was her great-grandmother's way of being her great-grandmother, really. She was always saying odd stuff like that. But now as she thought about it, she wondered to herself if there was any kind of truth to it. Click sat down and crossed her legs over one another, forcing her breathing to slow down and her heart to slow with it. She closed her eyes and softly spoke. Oh, great Mother Sky, I know I never speak to you and I never give you thanks for the life that I have or that I have led, but please hear me. My flock is in danger and I need your wisdom. Please help me to save them. I don't know what to do or where to turn. Please help me. She said in the softest whisper she could manage, all while fighting back tears. She sat there for the longest time, 
So long she didn't know exactly how long, but she knew that it was beginning to get dark as she could hear the sounds of the night beginning to reach out all around her. And just when she was about to give up and curse herself for being so fucking stupid, she heard it. It was like the faintest whisper she'd ever heard in her life at first. She wondered if it was her own desperate mind playing tricks on her. But the more she swivelled her ears and the better she tuned it in, the more obvious it became. It sounded like combat. Cautiously, she took to the air again. She flew following the sound while trying to tune out the plethora of, her, of the other sounds that her hypersensitive ears picked up while all around her. Eventually, the faint whisper grew into a loud roar. It became incredibly easy for her to track. And that's when she saw it. A human town. There was smoke bellowing from various points of the town and a whole host of noises coming from within it. Though oddly enough, only half of them sounded human. Slowly she approached it and she used a nearby chimney stack from another old factory and she landed on it and she waited for the evening to pass and the night for fall. Her eyes would be completely and absolutely useless in the daylight and that blindlessness would most likely get her spotted. But she needed to see what the sky had led her to. As the day drew onwards, the sounds seemed to change and they went from sounds of combat to very different sounds. She even swore she heard laughter and mirth floating up to her, as well from the large metal-walled compound. Eventually, the finally, the accursed sun descended, and with every foot it dropped the sky, Click's eyes grew better and better, until eventually she could finally see properly again. She really wished she'd had time to grab the day protection goggles that her great-grandmother had gifted her from that time she had lived in the realm of the sun. But now they were little more than an heirloom that she passed down to Click as her favourite granddaughter. According to her great-grandmother, they were once used by humans to protect their eyes from the brightest of lights. And she had found them in an old human building that was filled with odd machines that humans used to move about in, when she was no older than Click had been then. The lenses were made of thick, dark glass and when strapped to your head covered your eyes completely and beat back the false sun, allowing a banshee to see as if it were nighttime during the day. But now that their colony lived in the land of the forever fogs, they had no need of such things as they could roam around during the day or night. But now that Click found herself in the land of the sunwalkers, she instantly regretted not bringing them with her. The human town below was quite large with high metal walls surrounding it on all sides, like a fort of some kind. Click leaned over the side of the chimney, and she sent out a sonar pulse, which, given the frequencies of hers, sounded like a sharp click. It wasn't hard to figure out why her mother had named her so. As the pulse bounced back to her from everything it touched, her sensitive ears retrieved the information and her brain pieced it together, in a kind of overlay that appeared to her over what her eyes saw. This gave her a far sharper picture of the world around her, despite her eyes being able to see in the darkness just fine. The image was kind of like a blue pulse-like image, appearing briefly over what her eyes were seeing and lingering for a few moments before fading. Like someone had fired off a strobe light that rapidly lit the area up and created an image in her mind's eye that her brain overlaid over what her eyes were actually seeing. But what her sonar revealed didn't make any sense. So she sent out yet another pulse. And then another. And each time it bounced back, it showed massive creatures walking around with the humans within the walls of the town. And from what she could see, they weren't fighting or killing one another. 
they seemed to be talking. This made absolutely zero sense to Click. Humans hated everyone and everything that didn't look like them. Hell, they even hated things that did look like them. So what chance did other races have to be met with weapons that these creatures could bring to bear? Every banshee and she assumed every creature the world knew that humans didn't fight fair. They didn't use the great scries above it granted them, naturally. Instead they used forged advantages made of metal and electric that inflicted death at a distance with no risk to themselves. They had no voice that could break glass or soothe the troubled of hearts. They had no muscles that could rend metal or beat back mighty foes. They had no wings with which they could soar into the endless skies. What they did have were guns and metal suits. That's when she saw something that made her blood run cold and her heart freed solid like a fist-sized ice cube right in her chest. In the centre of the town was one of those metal men. As she watched and pulsed them with her sonar, Click saw the metal man walk out and begin talking with what appeared to be a deathclaw of all things. This, in as of itself, shocked Click into a stupor. Since when could Deathclaws talk? But here it was, plain as night, talking with a metal-covered human right in the centre of town as if it was the most normal thing in the night. And that's when things got even weirder, and a whole lot scarier. As she watched and listened, the metal man lifted off the floor, taking the Deathclaw with him. They could both fly! As she watched in horror at this new revelation, the metal man did a lap of the town with his Deathclaw companion in tow, before, like a bullet out of one of their accursed weapons, the pair shot off into the night sky, moving so fast that not only did they leave an echoing boom in their wake, but Click instantly lost sight of them. Not even her sonar could keep up with them, they were moving so fast. Something very odd and very wrong was going on in this town, and she had to know what it was. But she was also scared of what she might find. If the metal men could fly now, without the aid of their noisy machines... It could mean not just the end of her kind, but of everyone everywhere. But despite her fear, Click summoned what courage she had left. The endless skies had led her here, and the whisper that she had heard when she had needed it, whatever secrets this place held, it could be the key to saving her colony, and more importantly, her flock. So once again, Click steeled herself and she took to the air. She slowly made her way down to the town. She was going to have to do something that she thought she'd never had to do since her colony had moved to the endless fogs. It was something she was not even sure she remembered how to do given that it was so long since her great-grandmother had taught her the secret of how. But for the sake of the colony and her flock, she'd have to try. She would have to wear human face. Gliding silently, Click managed to slip past the humans in the four watchtowers that were set up at the corner of the large compound, and she silently landed in between the buildings. Now all she needed was a donor. Moving as silent as the blasted night itself, Click moved between the buildings, making sure that she was alone using her sonar when she only absolutely had to. She knew humans could hear the cl- her clicks, and she desperately didn't need them finding her ahead of time. Leaning out, she spotted exactly what she needed, near the edge of some crop plots. There was a young-looking human male sat on what appeared to be a crate, with what appeared to be a pad made of paper in his hands. He was drawing something, and her curiosity very nearly got the better of her as artists were highly coveted and revered in her colony, indeed among her people. But she shook it off quickly. She needed to focus. The fate of her flock was at stake, 
and she couldn't get distracted now. She needed to learn the secrets of this place that she could bring them back to and save her flock. So moving silently, she crept around behind the young human and taking a deep breath, she hit him with a quick hyperfrequency burst near point-blank range. This hyperfrequency pulse was, well, nowhere near as powerful as her scream, but she knew it would get the job done nicely. She didn't want to kill the young human, as not only did the notion of killing a defenceless opponent not sit right with her, but killing an artist was a major no-go for her people also. But the pulse did do its intended job, and it knocked him clean out, and she knew it would keep him unconscious for at least a couple of hours while his senses tried in vain to realign themselves from being completely scrambled to hell. As the young human slumped soundlessly off his seat and quickly fell forwards, she grabbed him before he fell all the way to the floor, dragging him and the pad he'd been holding back into the shadows between the buildings. Quick as a flash, she lifted the human man up, and now she properly saw his face, and with a quick click of sonar, she saw every little fine detail of it. To her great surprise, he was actually prettier than she would have expected. She would have thought his features would have been twisted and vile, but they were not. They looked normal, and indeed, handsome. His scent also caught her off guard. It was spicy and pleasant with a faint mixture of muskiness and charcoal from the pencils he'd been using to draw. She quickly shook off the fog that clouded her head. This was not the time for revelations of this kind. She needed those secrets. So swiftly she leaned his head to one side and leaned in close, biting into his neck with the tips of her fangs only. Intention was not to kill, it was to learn. After drawing only a small amount of blood from him, she released him and held her hand over the small puncture wounds to the side of his neck, allowing them to quickly clot. She knew her survivor had dual purposes, so once it had clotted, she licked the wound site and both wounds sealed up, leaving only two small white dot scars at their place. When her fangs were in the, in, the saliva worked to keep the wound open and the blood flowing, but when they were attracted back into her jaw, her body released yet another enzyme into it which not only reversed the effect, but allowed for a rapid healing of those bitten. And it didn't take long for the human blood to do its magic. She felt it flowing through her body like a long-forgotten warmth. Then, just like her great-grandmother had taught her, when the time was right, click let go. Her body rippled like it was made of water, but it was merely her fur warping and changing to match the hue of human skin perfectly. Her ears retracted and her snout compressed inwards, while her eye socket shrank. A wing flap sealed into her sides and both her hands and feet morphed as her claws retracted. In mere moments she looked like a perfect, normal human girl, albeit a very naked one. Now all she needed was some clothes and she'd be ready. She was going to do this. She was going to learn the secrets of this place. She was going to save her flock. So that was chapter 146, ladies and gentlemen. And it seemed click really as her would work set out for her, but she seems to have some tricks up her sleeve. But will she find what she's need looking for? Or will she find she's bitten off more than she can chew in that town? Only going to be one way to find out the answer to those questions, and probably a whole lot more. You're going to have to tune in next time. So until next time, this is Ghost Nobody signing off and saying, I'll see you all next time.